0: Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada, delivering full-service solutions for your small business. Standing by. Hello, Ted Bird. Is
1: that a Seattle Mariners hat you're wearing?
0: That is indeed a Seattle's Mariner hat. It's uh, my new favorite hat. And you know why it's my new favorite hat? First of all, I uh, we've been to a game, and their stadium is absolutely beautiful, but mostly, uh, and this is the number one reason, my head is so big, <laughs> I cannot find a proper fitting hat in Canada anywhere. And as you may know, Ted, when you go to the States, everything is bigger, and you can find hats for the biggest melons in the universe, and I put... I put a couple of hats on my head at the Seattle Mariner store, and this one just sat on my head so nicely. I was so excited. And uh, as you pointed out, you gave me some fashion advice this morning because uh, as we're recording this, I slept in today, and you said, cripes, don't forget to put on a hat.
1: You're having a bad nobody... hair day, eh? Well, you still got your yeah. bed head.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, is that, a,
1: is... is that a sized? Is that what they call a sized hat, not adjustable? It's just a, it's right. the one size?
0: No, it's, it's, uh, they actually say to you, how big's your head? (laughs) I said, grab the biggest hat you have. (laughs) And they grabbed a big hat and I put it on and it sank over my eyebrows. There's actually a, there are bigger, apparently in America anyway, bigger heads than mine. Wow. And, and, and this, this, this was, uh, this was the Goldilocks thing. I put like three hats on my head. And uh, and this was just perfect. So what I'm so asking
1: you, though, is is it an adjustable hat or is it the one-size hat?
0: Yeah, it's the one-size hat. Yeah. It's right on the melon. I like that. Yeah, there's, there's no Velcro thing on the back. Right. It just sits right on the melon. Yeah. yeah, That's a quality ball cap. It is a quality ball cap. Thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. Uh, as you can uh, tell, I didn't uh, – if you're watching this on YouTube, didn't spend a lot of time choosing my outfit because <laughs> – Uh, Ted texted me this morning and said, where the hell are you? We're supposed to start recording. (laughs) So I I realized in in my music room, which is full of uh, artifacts uh, pertaining to Paul McCartney, I grabbed the first t-shirt. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Um, I got a Paul McCartney shirt on. There are Paul McCartney pictures behind me. Um, I I actually look like a bit of a Paul McCartney lunatic, but that's... uh, Uh, That's because uh, my wife is probably Paul McCartney's biggest fan. How are you, Ted Bird? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm very well. Um, Before we get started, because we do have a guest on this episode, uh, I would like to uh, say thank you and uh, welcome to our new title sponsor, the UPS Store Canada. As you know, Ted, I was uh, was at lunch yesterday with uh, David Drucker, who uh, loves the podcast and watches the podcast on YouTube. And uh, he says he enjoys, I'm not sure why, but he enjoys our body language. He likes to watch us interact. And he says he can tell when the laughs are coming. So he's he's been a fan for a very, very long time.
1: (laughs) That's funny. I wonder how he can tell.
0: I'm not sure we'll have to ask him. The UPS Store Canada uh, proudly presents the Standing By Podcast Season 4. Uh, and uh, UPS, uh, the UPS stores across the country. Did you know there are over 360 locations now? Since David Drucker has been involved with the UPS Store Canada, they have grown, uh, what's the word, exponentially? Mm -hmm. Have I got that right? Yep, you have. There you go. I don't know what it
1: means, Um, but I know you pronounced it correctly.
0: Thank you very much. And you can uh, find a UPS location just about anywhere in Canada as I always say, if you are a small business owner, go into the UPS store in your community and you'll be dealing with another small business owner. Uh, The franchisees across the country all know what it's like to run a small business, and that's what they do. They are there to help you with shipping, with packing, with faxing, with shredding, anything that has anything to do with running a business or even a small, simple thing like sending a package to your daughter who's gone away to school on the other end of the country, they can handle that for you too. When you need to get uh, things across the country in a big hurry, never mind across the country, anywhere around the planet, the UPS store is the place you want to go. They will, uh, uh, they will make sure that uh, your life is a lot easier. They can help you set up post office boxes. I could go on and on about it because I use them a lot. When I uh, lived in Calgary and when I made my move from Montreal, they were a massive help. I'm telling you, there's one not far from the sound of my voice. All you got to do is go online and look up the UPS Store Canada uh, and uh, you'll, be, you'll be in business, as I like to say. And again, uh, our thanks to the UPS Store Canada, our new title sponsor. How are you, Ted Bird? I think you brought a
1: guest. I did. As a matter of fact, our guest is a regular customer of the UPS store in Kirkland, Quebec. She is Donna Zielinski, a visual artist who specializes in capturing photorealistic details in all of her subject matter. Can you tell I'm reading this off her website? I can. (laughs) not Throughout her career, Tara as an artist... Donna has worked closely with her collectors and represents on canvas the requests of her clients, whether commissioned or from her extensive portfolio. There is sure to be a scene for all art enthusiasts, and she's a longtime Terry and Ted listener, and that's how I got to know Donna, and uh, we became fast friends on social media. And uh, I, uh, I am admi- an admirer of her art, as I know the you are, and I know that you are an artificionado. And Donna is an artist, so I thought that you two could have a good conversation about art and I could be the peanut gallery. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was, I was, when Ted said to me, he said, I'm going to invite Donna on the podcast. And I said, you mean, and, and we'll talk about art? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. Let's see what happens. <laughs> well, is you're an what? art
1: aficionado, Ter. You have an art collection. You collect yes, art. And-
0: yeah, but I, I ted, I, I I have some pieces in my house. I wouldn't call me an aficionado, and I don't know if I would call me a collector. i did I did start to become very interested in art um not too long after uh, I guess I was introduced to it by a, a former radio morning man who was uh, quite an artist himself uh, named George Balkan. Uh, who was a, a longtime morning show host in uh, Montreal that I listened to when I was a kid. And George was quite an accomplished artist himself. And I had a long conversation with George not too long after I uh, succeeded him at uh, the radio station he worked for for many years. Um, and uh, we had a long chat about art, and he he introduced me to um, the, uh, the folks at, uh, gosh, I'm going to gap on their name now, the most... One of the most famous galleries in uh, Canada on uh, Sherbrooke Street. Donna, you can help me with this. What's the name of the big, big gallery?
2: Alan Klinkoff. Uh,
0: the Klinkoff. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. The Klinkoff brothers uh, took me under their wing one afternoon and toured me through Canadian art in the gallery, explained to me uh, about, you know, how you can love art like you love music. And uh, I was off to the races, and I've I've since... Um, you know, bought some Canadian pieces over the course of the years. Now, you know, I've, I, don't have anything, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've, I've got nothing that impressive in my home. Um, but I, I am a fan of some really, really talented, talented people like uh, Montreal artist, Laurie Campbell. I love her work. Um, I've got a few other pieces from a couple of people who are uh, artists in Alberta and uh, when Ted introduced me to Donna's work, I, uh, I absolutely fell in love with it. And I would love to have one of her pieces in my houseboat. We haven't gone around to that yet. Donna, welcome to the uh, the podcast. It's awfully nice of you to spend time, and I apologize I was late uh, arriving today.
2: Oh, not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm thrilled to talk art.
0: Are you really? I where am. did it, where did it start with you, Donna? How uh, when did you you first? Uh, become interested or realize that that was a path you wanted to go down?
2: You know, I was a student at university, and I was classically trained in music from the age of four, so I've always been an artistic type of person. Uh, I I studied at the conservatory. Piano was my first love, and I still play piano. But while I was in university, I studied political science, by the way, at McGill. So nothing to do with art but I was thumbing through or actually watching the television one Saturday afternoon and fell on Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting wow. a 30-minute show where Bob Ross you know who Bob Ross is right
0: Absolutely yeah. do I, I curly red haired of- guy
2: <laughs> <laughs> Right Well yeah curly
0: red haired guy <laughs> Isn't that it's him a matter of- yeah my my wife and I went to a Bob Ross exhibition in British Columbia last summer. Wow. He's for, for people who don't know, he was the guy on PBS that you would stumble I, I remember stumbling on him uh in the afternoon when I was hung over watching TV lying on the couch <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon and he was the, he was the whispery guy. He was the guy with the big—he had a big afro haircut and a big beard, and oh, yeah. all that you could see in the studio was an easel and a canvas. And he had his palette with him, and he would say, "We're just going to put some clouds here,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and here we have a couple of trees." <laughs> and he would use this—he would use this palette, and 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 this like it looked like a cement trowel, and he would start spreading things on the canvas, and right? before you know it. You you were you you were looking at this most beautiful piece of, of art. It was quite something, wasn't it, Donna? And
2: it was, and all under a half an hour. And these really were painted in under a half an hour. Now, he did have his research done, and oftentimes he was replicating a painting he had already done. But within that half an hour, he had come to cover a pretty significantly large canvas, probably somewhere around 20 by 24, maybe even larger than that, and he would have a full scene painted beautifully with, with reflections and with highlights, shadows, and everything done under 30 minutes. And so I remember saying to my dad, You have to take me to an art store. Daddy, I want to paint. I want to try this out. And my parents were very encouraging and supportive of me. And probably within maybe a week, maybe a, maybe a, well, within the month for sure, I went to the art store, got supplied, got probably a starter kit of oil paints and brushes. And started very enthusiastically.
1: And this was when you were in university.
2: When I was in university, so probably around eighteen. Yeah, so that's
1: what ten years ago or so. (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) How am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, very good, very good. So yeah, almost forty years ago, and so I played with that. My dad, my dad is ninety years old now. He still maintains. About six months ago, he was visiting the art studio and he looked at a few of my painting. He's always been my biggest critic. He's. my biggest fan, but he's been my big, biggest critic. Oh, Donna, he says you still haven't learned to paint a tree. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry, Dad, I like that one. <laughs> is, is
1: he a painter himself? No,
2: he's not. Really? No.
0: <laughs> but he's, uh, he's he's
1: he's quite a, bold with his opinion, is <laughs> he? He is.
0: <laughs> well, you Funny. know, that's one of the things that the 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 uh, the folks at the Klingoff Gal- Gallery taught me the day that I met them. They said. It's it's not you know you shouldn't be looking at art through the eyes of an investor like you know buy this painting and it's going to be worth uh, x amount of dollars in in a few years you look at it the way you you listen to music if it moves you yeah um, and it it's something that that speaks to you then that's a piece that you want to put in your home and they explained to me and this happens to me that all of the pieces that you put up in your home, you know, whether it's a, a poster that you buy when you're in university or, uh, you know, uh, a, a painting, a copy of a painting you buy at Ikea, mm-hmm. if it's something that re that moves you and it reminds you of a certain time in your life. In other words, it, it really truly is, uh, in the eye of the beholder, Oh, it um, is. Which, is, yeah. which, it, which is where I, I hear where your dad is coming from, right? You I'm, don't have to be a painter to feel, a certain way about a a, a a painting, right, Donna?
2: Oh, absolutely. And there, that connection has to be there. And it's funny that you say that, because Klinkoff, they were right at, you know, when they mentioned to you, it has to move you. Art yes. galleries today, though, there seems to be a trend, at least to the art galleries that I, I am trying to peddle my work at. They want to have a specific style of painting, and that specific style only represented. And so oftentimes... More often than not, my art is very photorealistic, or it tends to be, not all of it. But I think if I'm true to my own style of painting, what you'll see is a scene that's very representative of what I am looking at or trying to represent. And abstract art and naive art are styles in themselves, but those seem to be what are trending in galleries today. What's, galleries.
1: What's naive art?
2: Naive art is art... Um, uh, Imagine that you have a boat and you want to represent a boat. A child would draw a boat with a black outline and then color it in with white or blue or yellow or whatever color they see. But that black outline and a very, very primitive style of art. Grandma Moses was probably the most known, I think, naive artist. And she she turned out beautiful canvases, but naive art is a very simplistic style in art. Something that doesn't speak to me at all, but I know, you know...
1: And that's I, I, what's again, trending
0: it's all, now. It's all, it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder. But I, I, uh, uh, naive and abstract art I, goes right over my head. I just don't understand it. And uh, I don't have an appreciation for it. I understand how some people would have an appreciation for it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people uh, that that understand it. And there's a lot of people that made a hillion zillion dollars doing it. Basquiat, right. um, you know, uh, Miro is another one. Uh, these are these are uh, you know very, very talented people and and widely respected in the art world, but something that doesn't speak to me. So I'm surprised to hear you say that about galleries, Donna, because that you know when I when I go to a gallery like a, a Klinkoff a gallery, you you want to see all kinds of different styles represented.
2: Absolutely. And you know we have a country house up north in the Laurentians. and so the first galleries that I started pursuing, For my own representation were the galleries up in the Laurentians because i thought they would be very supportive and encouraging of a local artist and i'll tell you that most of the galleries that i had contacted didn't even contact me back and the ones that did i appreciated their feedback but what they said to me is at least up north in the Laurentians a lot of the homes homeowners are second house they are second houses and they're looking for a very specific type of art, and it's, it's art that would not necessarily uh, be represented in Montreal, but it's not art that is very realistic, and it is not art that would be very creative. So I made the mistake of saying, oh, art that you would see at Winners? Is that what you're looking <laughs> Good for yes. you. Good for you, though. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That, and, that, that, that's really puzzling to me because um, that would be like going into a record store and, you know, the record store owner saying, we we only carry heavy metal here. You right. can only buy heavy metal records here.
2: Right. And I was very surprised because, you know, I, I, okay, I started when I was 18, but really in earnest, probably about eight years ago was when I really found my brushes and started exploring with watercolors and graphite and doing the oils that I do now and really, really spending time trying to churn out quality artwork. And so when I sent my portfolio over to this one particular gallery, I was quite thrilled with – I had sent a variety of different styles, thinking that something might appeal to them. And and some of the work was really local works, things that are that I see on our lake or along the street, very Canadian – thinking, of course, the Laurentian Gallery will like to represent this. But no. And then when they explained to me what, thankfully, they were nice enough to to come back to me and take the time and tell me what it was they were looking for in, in artists at their gallery. And so not being true to myself entirely, I decided to paint a large, and you've probably seen this on my Twitter page, a 36 by 36 oil of an impressionistic bear. It's a it's not colors that I would ever use. They're very bold. They're very unblended, and it was a bare head. And you know, I like it. It's hanging up at my house up north, but it's certainly not one of my best works. And so I sent that to them because this is the type of art that they like to represent at their gallery. And then their answer back was, "No, not for us." Hmm. Oh. So, so you
0: do.
2: I, 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 ha- go, go ahead, Donna. You do have to have thick skin.
0: I, I did not know that about uh, gallery owners, and again, I'm not an aficionado. I just I buy things. You know, I see things that I like, and I buy them if I if I can. Um, but I I think that is that that belies the history of artists in Quebec, don't you think? Yeah. Like when you think of of the famous Quebec artists,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that that's. That's not true at all. I, you know, it's it's the same thing as if you're you're traveling in Europe, you know, or if you, you know, I I hate to reduce it to this, but if you go to the old port, and you're you're looking at the sketch artists, yeah, they're sketching what the, what's in front of them, what's what's local. If you go to, you know, a, a roadside stand in Tuscany, there's usually somebody in a Tuscan field painting what they see in front of them. Right. So that that's really surprising to me because when you you think of some of the classic Quebec artists that are now worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. They're representative of, of where these people lived and grew up. You know, when you think of, you know, like John Little, I would love to oh. have a John Little painting in my house, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't afford it. And, and it, you know, when you look at a John Little painting, you go, that guy's from Montreal.
2: Exactly. And uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite, you know, Canadian artists always has been. And you I- I am influenced by him and some of my Montreal scenes like you've seen my Leonard Cohen Crescent Street and I've done another one recently in watercolors of the plateau they they're not John Little's certainly but they're on that style where the street scene is just the street scene it's Montreal it's representative of Montreal and I've contacted other Montreal galleries they're not interested they want naive art that's what's selling and Ted has a story oh. about going into a gallery on my behalf and and uh, the owner of that particular gallery said that said to Ted that he really only wants art that will sell. It doesn't matter what what I'm turning out if it's quality work or if it's not quality work. And I understand that it's a business, but at some point you think they they would want representation of local scenes.
1: But you have still what? found you have found clients for your oh, for yes. your work though yeah. who appreciate absolutely. local scenes, right? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I've done most of my business. Not through my website, but most of it has come on social media, and word of mouth. Let,
0: let's hear, let's hear that story, Ted. Well, what did, I, what did you say to the guy? I think
1: <laughs> I well, I just went in and I said I have a friend, and she's an accomplished artist. She's a member of the uh, it's the Canadian Federation
2: Federation of, of Canadian Artists. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: and she, and she's you know she has sold some paintings. She has uh, you know she has professional. Uh, credibility and she's uh, interested in, in possibly uh, displaying at your gallery. And he said, well, you know, she'll have to submit some of her work and then it goes before a committee and this and that and the other thing. And I said, okay. And, and uh, I took his card and uh, I, I gave his contact information to Donna and she, you contacted him a couple of times at least. eh? Oh yes.
2: It's been, yeah.
1: And didn't hear back from him. And at one point she sent me a, she sent me an email saying, thank you Ted for your efforts on my behalf, but I didn't hear back from the gallery Etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And I wrote back, uh, well, you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them and their arrogance. And I said, I'm going to leave a flaming bag of shit on their doorstep in the middle of the night. And I sent it back, not knowing she had CC'd the guy from the gallery. <laughs> so
0: he got that email. <laughs> Art agent Ted Bird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yes, now Donna. Now Donna is seeking new representation.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: it, it speaks to what you said, Donna. You, you, I guess, like if you're a singer, a painter, an actor, you know, anybody who's in the arts, you need a thick skin.
2: You need a very thick skin. It gets discouraging. Actually, at one point in the spring this past year. I just, you know, I hung up the brushes and I said to my husband, I said, you know, that's it. I'm not painting anymore. It's just, and it's sad because painting is my passion and I do it for me, but somehow along this journey, whether it's through my website, through social media, through the sales that I've done, it did morph into a little bit of a business and it has now turned into a business, you know, in earnest, but at the time you just, you you feel you're up for these setbacks, but they do, they, they affect you.
0: Well, listen, it's part of the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to suggest that Ted and I are artists, but, you know, both of us were subject to public approval in the jobs that we did over the years Yeah. and also uh, in-house approval. You know, there were many times over the years where Ted and I would have completed a four and a half hour program on the radio and gone into an office and had a man sit in front of us and say, God damn it, that was a shit show this morning. Oh. And it, it it can be crushing. You yeah. know, it can be, it can be, it can be uh, soul crushing when somebody says, yeah, we heard your work and it sucks. Right. And, and as an artist, whether, again, like whether you're a singer an actor, uh, you're doing a radio show, whatever it is that, that can be very, very difficult. Um, I want to, I, I, I want to continue continue on um, that path of your development. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Ted, I think uh, we should uh, take a moment here and thank our friends at uh, Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Again, I know we, you know, we, uh, we want to thank them for their support because a lot of people listen to the podcast and go, oh, you're plugging the guys again. But it, the uh, the podcast doesn't happen without the support of our sponsors.
1: And Jaguar Land Rover Laval have been with us uh, right out of the gate. Nino yeah. and Renato D. Cubelis and Adrian McGrath have been strong supporters of the podcast. And I've been trying to convince Donna to go to Jaguar Land Rover Laval because that's who their clientele is. Upscale, attractive women who live in big houses on the lake up north. <laughs> that's who they're looking for. That's also who I'm looking for, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> but I think Donna would look terrific in a Land Rover. I'm just trying to figure out whether she would look best in a Land Rover uh, Defender uh, or a Land Rover Discovery. I'm thinking the Defender because she lives, she lives up north and, you know, when the winter storms hit, uh, you, want, uh, you want the biggest, toughest Land Rover of all. And, and that would be uh, the Defender. And uh, they really do, Donna. They they are looking for or, or they service clients north of Montreal. I mean, it's Land Rover Laval, and right. I think I think their main clientele or their target clientele is folks just like you. So I think a Land Rover Defender for your winter vehicle, and maybe a Jaguar F Type for your summer vehicle, but. a Jaguar convertible. Um, I I think that. Uh, you know, I'll
2: put th- it on my Christmas list.
1: Yeah. Why don't you? And, uh, you know, I've done such a terrific job representing you as an artist. Uh, why wouldn't I like, <laughs> go out and try to help you find a couple of vehicles? Land Rover, Laval.com and JaguarLaval.com. If you are looking for an upscale vehicle, make sure you go see them before you make a decision on what you buy, because not only will you get a quality product, you will get quality customer service.
0: Yeah, run by a wonderful family, as we always say. We love family businesses, and that's uh, one of them. And just so you know, you don't you don't have to live in a big house if you want to go visit them.
1: No, you don't. No, but Donna lives in a, in you know. a in a nice big house. I, I, I haven't been there. I actually was invited, but I couldn't make it. Okay. Uh, so I'm hoping the invite still stands. The I'd
2: invite like still stands to you and to Terry and to Jessica. Yep.
0: Thank you, Donna. I appreciate that, Donna. When when you began to paint, this is something that you know. When you said you you encouraged your parents to get you some art supplies, mm-hmm. and you began to paint. Yeah. You know, if I did that, if I went to the local art store and got myself a uh, you know an easel and uh, some something to paint on and some brushes, um, I, I would finish with a, you know a lovely stick man painting and you realize think you that would? I was unable <laughs> unable to paint shit. So. When you started, how did you like? Does do you as an artist, do you know? You think, Oh, I know how to do this. No,
2: not at all. And it's funny because when I play those board games with my children now, today, and we have to do, I think, what is it, Pictionary, the one where you have to draw something within 30 seconds, they all look at me and say, Mom, what the hell (laughs) is that? That's atrocious. That's supposed to be a zebra. It's got six legs. And, and so no, you know, Do you I you tell
1: them it's naive art. <laughs> it's
2: naive art. It's abstract. No. So no, I didn't. I had, you know, at the same time we picked up actually it was my, my husband who built me the easel. Ralph and I were both in university at the same time and we've been dating that long and married that long that he built me my first easel, which I still have. Um, but I went to the art store with my mom and dad and and picked up a book called I think it was Large Paintings That Sell. Not that I had any intention of selling a painting, but I figured there was no internet in those days. There was no computer. Other than Bob Ross on Saturday afternoons, I had nowhere to turn to for any kind of painting council. So I bought this book, and I tried to emulate what I saw in the book. And my parents, bless them, still have these paintings hanging on their walls framed at home, but they were very, very simple and... I've developed a lot in my style. When my children came, you know, I was very busy. We had moved to the States. I had hung up the brushes, and I didn't paint probably for a good 20 years. Because with oil paints, you have to have a dedicated space. You can't just – well, I suppose you can, but you can't really pull out an easel, work on a canvas, and then have to put everything away at the end of the day because you have to make dinner and you need the table or you need that area – to cook or serve in. So
1: you need like a dedicated studio. Right,
2: and I never had that. So only when I did have a dedicated studio is when I really started, I think, pursuing the art on a more professional level. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you see? Do you see it? Is it like a? a, a let's. I, a tr- I keep trying to use uh, you know examples of of uh, other disciplines. Is it like a singer? The more that you sing, you know, or an actor, the you know, the more Absolutely. the more you work, the better you get at it?
2: Yes, yes. With every canvas that I do, I still learn. I just finished one on the weekend that I thought it was going to continue, but I looked at it this morning as we were leaving the country, and I thought, no, nope, that one's done. But you learn so many techniques as you go, and and I've never once watched a YouTube video on how to paint other than Bob Ross. So I'm entirely self-taught. I've made some really bad canvases that have ended up with some X's on them and, you know, into the trash. But you learn from those. I had a mentor in England. He's he's still my mentor. Um, and he told me one time, maybe 10 years ago, never give up on a painting. There's always a way out. And from that point on, I, I really... That's
1: interesting. That brings to mind the old expression, I've painted myself into a corner.
2: Right? <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: Do you get there with a painting sometimes? Oh. Do you get to a place where you go, uh-oh.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> Absolutely. You get, you, know, you get enthusiastic with glazes or things, and, and then suddenly, uh-oh, you've lost the scope of the painting and originally where you were going. And oftentimes in a piece of art, you start off expecting to paint something that you either see in your head or be representative of something you're looking at, and it takes its own turn. It develops on its own, and that's the fun about art. You see things that develop without having expected them to be there.
0: That's really. You know, that, that, that reminds me, Donna, of Bob, of, uh, of, um, what's his name now? Bob. Uh, Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Um, I remember him, you know, uh, watching his programs. I'm being a painter myself, but every, like a lot of people, I was absolutely fascinated by him. And I remember him saying, you know, making what he would call a mistake where he'd say, you know, well, I was going to put a rock here, but. Let's turn this into a tree,
2: right? And he called you know, those happy accidents. Would,
0: he would, yeah, he would. He would, and that's he would call them happy accidents. Yeah, and and would add to the painting. Um, so when you when you decide when you wander into the studio and you're standing in front of a blank canvas, mm-hmm. what is it that moves you to say, "Okay, uh, today I'm going to paint the lake," or today? Uh, I'm going to paint the back of the house. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what, is it something that moves you to go to the canvas and begin uh, to, you know, construct a painting or or do you just sit in front of it and then go?
2: Well, sometimes that's, that's a really good question, Terry. Sometimes it's a bit of both, but mostly what moves me and inspires me is light. There has to be incredible light or at least very interesting light. And oftentimes that happens when there's flat light that things will pop out at you. If I'm looking at the lake or looking at a tree or whatever's inspiring me that particular day, something's going to really stand out because of the light, whether it's the shadow, whether it's the highlight, but the light. So I would probably consider myself mostly a painter of light. I won't do a painting if there's not interesting light in it. Or if I do, it's not going to be a painting that's interested me much. Because I do, you know, I do paint commissions as well, and people have asked me to paint different things that certainly I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> want to represent. But it's a commission, so you know, if it's important to them and they're they're important collectors to me, then I'll do those.
0: How much is the uh, the house up north influenced your work?
2: Oh, I think not the house in particular, but the region. The we, setting. Yeah, we've been up in the Laurentians for probably 20 years. We we started off in St. Agath and then moved to the Esterel region. And I had dedicated studios in those homes. And I think having a dedicated studio with great light, looking out and seeing how the light changes from morning through afternoon into evening, and you're looking at the same scene all the time. So if I'm looking at the lake you know, the morning light with their long shadows and then midday with the direct shadows overhead, it really does inspire you. It makes you just want to represent something quickly. Sometimes it's a a sketch. I'll just grab a sketchbook and sketch it out and, and put notes in my sketchbook. Or oftentimes it's my phone. Grab a quick picture. This is something I need to do. So I have oh files and files of paintings I need to do.
0: It's fascinating to me because I, I I think of me when you know I'm I'm up north at somebody's house, and you're sitting on the dock, and the afternoon light changes, and I yeah. think, well, it's time for Caesar. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> that too.
2: <laughs> it's did, it's, it's, an,
0: it's an interesting perspective.
1: <laughs> did you take a picture of a single red leaf this fall that you put up on social media? Uh, a single red leaf on the lake. I did. Was it in the water or was it on a wharf or?
2: That was Ralph who took it actually. Oh, okay. That was a
1: beautiful photograph. Yeah. Did you turn that into a painting? Not yet. No? Are you going to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a spectacular photograph. That was a work of art in itself. Right. Ralph took that. Ralph eh? took
2: that. We were on the kayaks and he was behind me and he just took that because they were floating in the water. It was, it was quite late actually. We don't usually kayak into October and we were out there in the morning the water was still and there were so many red leaves just floating at the surface
1: but he got one but just he the, got one, the one yeah. red leaf in the picture it yeah. was a really nice little piece of canadiana it i thought was. and i was surprised when you said earlier that people aren't uh, interested or, or galleries aren't interested no. in the in that kind of art because no. it seems to me that you do a lot of that a lot of your paintings i look at them and i go that's canadiana donna did one for me uh, for actually for Sam, my son, Sam for his birthday, that picture tear from a few years ago, of Sam and his buddies yes, on the lake on uh, yeah. Lac St. Louis, it was taken at dusk, mm. I think. And it's just their silhouettes with hockey sticks and skates. Like it's, it's Canadiana. Like I'd never seen before. And Donna painted that and, uh, I gave it to Sam for Christmas a couple of years ago and he was wow. quite moved.
0: Yeah. That's that's what that's one of the things that um, that people who are intimidated by art uh, don't don't think about. Uh, it can be very very moving. much like you know a picture of an old family member or a time in your life. Art can be very emotional and, and very moving. And I know for a fact that a lot of people are intimidated by art and don't want to go into galleries. And I encourage you. If you're ever walking by a gallery and you see paintings on the win- in the window, like I, you know, for example, you know this, Ted, there are art galleries on, on Green Avenue and they have some really nice works in the window. And I remember being of a certain age, you know, in my early 20s and walking by these galleries after we had, had finished at the radio station and thinking, oh, look, we're, this is where the rich people shop. I'm sure I wouldn't be welcome in here. Oh. And I keep I keep encouraging people to, you know, even if you're not in the market for a painting and even if you don't know anything about art, wander into a gallery and have a look around. It'll open your eyes. Wouldn't you agree
2: with that, Donna? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the one gallery that's been absolutely amazing is the Federation Gallery in Vancouver on Granville Island. They've been around for, I'd like to say, it's 100 years. It might be a little bit over that. But they were originally founded by some of the group of seven, like Lauren Harris and A.Y. Jackson. And they represented these Canadian artists. And they're very much the opposite of what I've been saying about a lot of the local galleries that I've visited, because they do promote Canadian art and they do promote Canadian artists. And they want to see content of all styles. So they will represent naive, abstract, photorealistic, impressionistic, expressionistic. It will all be there. But they're very good. They're a nonprofit, so that's yeah. a, a big plus. They're really in there to promote culture, art. They've added sculpture recently as well, so 2D art, 3D art. But v- they've been very, very encouraging in terms of you know, submitting, um, being juried into, because they're not an easy organization to get to represent you at all. You have to right. be juried into them. And and
1: what does that mean, juried in?
2: um, I have to submit some works, and then they will have a panel of possibly ten or more judges who are members of the federation at a certain level, probably associate or senior, and they will look at my work and they will judge it on merit, and that will be judged. I'm not sure which, you know, what their criteria are, but they're judging them, and in order to be accepted into an exhibition. And they have to be juried in by the majority of those jurists, jurors,
0: right? Jurors, yeah. And I, I know, you know, for example, the uh, the Klinkoff Gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year, um, I, I, th- I hope they're still doing it, but every year they used to uh, get in touch with their collectors. They have some heavy hitters, mm-hmm. who are collectors of Canadian art, and they ask those collectors to lend them some of their works. And they close the gallery to commerce and invite students to come and look at some of the most famous Canadian pieces that uh-huh. Montrealers collect. You know the Bromfman's, yeah. the Steinbergs, those families who are serious art collectors. And they put those things on display. And the other gallery in Montreal that I I encourage people to drop in on on Sherbrooke Street is the Heffel Gallery, where you can go stand directly in front of some of the most famous paintings on the planet. They have a exhibition every year that often includes group works from the group of seven. And the, the, the pieces are hanging in the gallery and they spend a couple of days showing them where you can just go in for free and wander around the gallery. And there are always people there to tell you about those artists. And, and uh, I, I found that those kinds of things help inspire me to become more interested in art, Donna.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to to open up a gallery for the reason of nothing else but to showcase the art that you want your want you want to expose your Canadian youth. You want to encourage. um, You want to develop culture in our young and our youth, really. And that's a great way to do it. But often that's not the case.
0: Yeah, I want to uh, get to uh, some of the artists that influenced you as you began your career, Donna. But before we continue. Uh, We're going to continue to uh, thank uh, people that support the podcast, and that includes uh, Sean and the uh, crew at Voswin. Uh, Ted and I were so pleased when we sat down with Sean uh, to talk about Voswin and his support of the Standing By podcast. And when we were driving over there, I said to Ted, I don't know what this guy's doing calling us. (laughs) It's, a, it's an engineering thing. I don't know if we're going to understand any of this, but we met Sean and we were completely taken with him and what he does, Ted.
1: And it actually makes sense. I mean, Sean is a guy who who offers a service, uh, an engineering consulting service. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of uh, you, you can find an engineering need just about anywhere. I don't know about in an art studio. Do you have any engineering needs in your art studio, Donna? Anything come immediately to mind?
2: Not immediately. Well, if
1: it does, here's what Sean and the team at Voswin do. If you uh, are an innovator uh, or you have an existing business or service and there's an engineering component to it and you don't know how to approach it, that's where Sean and Voswin come in. Mechanical and industrial engineering and design electrical engineering and design, and software engineering and design. If you need one of those components, they are experts at that, and they can take your product and service and enhance it uh, with their engineering expertise. Sean Smith and the team at Voswin. Stop the spin. Call Voswin. Take the idea, as Terry likes to say, from your head and put it into your hands. That's what they do at Voswin they're good folks and uh, like I say if you've got something Ralph probably has all kinds of things that could use an engineering component although he's probably also got pretty good access to engineers himself eh? he is an engineer <laughs> Oh is that right yeah. well there you go he might need he might even know Sean. <laughs>
0: And I, I, ran, uh, I ran my slogan by Sean, but he didn't go for it. Don't electrocute yourself. Call Voswin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he decided to go with stop the spin, call Voswin, <laughs> and vision to innovation. Let me ask hey, one quick question while I'm thinking of it, Tare, before you yes. get to Donna's artistic influences, because this, is, this yes. has been with me ever since I found out that we were going to have Donna on the show. I know the difference between Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and chopsticks, like I know that. But if you put a Van Gogh in front of me and another really nice painting of flowers that somebody's not who's not famous did, I don't, I, like what makes the Van Gogh the Van Gogh? What makes that worth millions and millions and millions of dollars? Whereas the other one that, that, uh, that uh, Irv Piffle from down the street painted looks very nice, but it's not worth anything.
2: You know, I'm not an art historian, but going back to Van Gogh, I mean, Van Gogh had a very specific style. If you take a part or if you um, uh, enlarge one of his paintings and look at the detail to get, for example, Starry, Starry Night, the swirls, and enlarge those swirls and look at what's going on in those swirls. So I think it's a lot, the layers, the colors, the styles. And Van Gogh really did not meet the requirements of society in his time, the art society in his time and and in the time of his his living years, he didn't sell one painting. So a lot of the fame comes after death, and that's true of a lot of the impressionistic artists, probably most of the impressionistic artists who were living in France as well. The same was true for them. And these would
1: be Renaud, Monet, Renoir, yeah. Manet,
2: Cicely, They were all, none of them. They were all frowned upon and ridiculed by the artistic societies that's of the time. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah.
1: That's so arty. Uh, it is. You it is. <laughs> sucks. What? He died?
0: Okay, that'll be a million dollars. I
2: know. I know. <laughs> just,
0: yeah, dying helps. Yeah, dying
2: helps. Don't think That's of anything, funny. guys. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, Donna, let, can can we talk about some of the um, painters or or works of art that or artists that that may have influenced you? And and if 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 there are some very famous. Uh, artists that you found very moving and influenced you uh, how how do you avoid trying to you know how do you avoid copying them
2: right so i think the, the so who who inspired me most probably the impressionistic artists um alfred sisley would probably be my number 1 i loved his works he often used muted tones in his scenes they were local scenes. They were scenes of of the French countryside, summer and winter. Um, uh, John Little, Canadian, absolutely incredible. Tom Thompson, one of the Group of Sevens, again different style. All three of these are very very different styles in art, but very very unique. Um, what inspired them most were the the world that they lived in and and the scenes that they saw every day. So not anything extravagant, just a local scene. So for me, some of my best art has been art that has represented the the lake, the creek, the little beaver dam that's just, you know, a stone's throw from the house that I walk by every day with the dog, and I look at that, and I think, God, it's beautiful in every season. And I don't know if everybody sees beauty in it, but I just see something that needs to be represented. So I think, you know, living in the world that you're actually in front of and part of, And representing that, and that can be, like Ted said, a leaf floating in the water. Suddenly that's something that wants to be represented on canvas. Or we have a little otter who lives under our dock. You know, he comes up to play sometimes. So all of these things I think are very inspiring. And that wasn't always the case, because when I started painting, I was doing copies. I wasn't doing any of my own original palettes. I was looking at a scene and trying to make a tree exactly like I saw it in the painting. So if I... And at that time, it was probably not Alfred Sisley that I was looking at. It was my little book that I bought at the art shop that was big paintings that sell. And I was trying to replicate. Trying to replicate is never going to be good art. You may learn, but I don't even think I learned really so well how to do anything in those years. I probably learned the most in the past 10 years when I started challenging myself with mediums. I was terrified of going anywhere near watercolors. And I didn't start watercolors till maybe four years ago.
0: That's interesting to me because one of, one of my favorite artists is Montrealer art Laurie Campbell. And I'm lucky enough to own her first watercolor. Oh, wow. And I, I've, never, I've ne- I never got to ask her um, what took her so long to get to the, the watercolor. What is it about artists who've been painting for a while, do beautiful work in oil... But are, what is it about watercolor that's so terrifying?
2: Oh, it's intimidating as hell because you're you're wetting a piece of paper, and then you're dipping a brush into a little bit of a pigment, and wow, where is that going to go when you put it down on the paper?
0: Wow,
2: right, and then it bleeds and it you know it blends and the first works I did were not really very pretty, but I learned very quickly how water behaves and how watercolors behave and it's funny because the very first set of watercolors. I purchased, I went to Walmart and I bought a child set of pans. So those are like, they look like little round discs, uh, very non-pigmented. So I would be dipping my brush and swirling and swirling and very little would come out onto the brush. And then when I would dip it onto the paper, it would come almost like a paste. So it wasn't very, wasn't good quality, obviously. But I, I learned a lot by doing that. And I learned the behavior of watercolors. So
1: there's less margin for error with watercolors. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you absolutely. have a preference?
2: Uh, I would have said oils, but I do have a preference. Yeah, it would be watercolors now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Because you've there's become some- better at it, or uh, I have become better yeah. at it. Yeah. It's it's funny. It, once once I learned the difference between oil and watercolors, and I, I I mean it sounds stupid, because you know once you know the difference between an oil painting and a watercolor painting. It's pretty obvious, but you know, when you don't know, you don't know. No, no, I don't but know. There's, something, there's there's something very very. Um, I don't know. Is it is the word calming? There's there's something um, there's something very gentle about a watercolor. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no? they're
2: loose. They're very. They tend to be loose. Okay. I don't really paint watercolors in a loose style often. I tend to be a little bit more again realistic in my. I all go very strong with the pigments and the lines, but they're very often very washy, and they are mm-hmm. relaxed, very different than oil paintings. Yes.
0: Yeah. Is, is there a point, because all artists will understand this, again, whether you're an actor or a singer or even a broadcaster, is there a point that you remember where you were finished a piece and you went, hmm, shit, I'm getting good at this?
2: Is there a point? Hmm.
0: Or was probably, there a point? Was yeah. there a specific
1: painting you remember standing back and going, you know what, that's pretty goddamn good if I do say so myself. I
2: th- yeah, and I think it was it was probably in graphite where I just, because graphite, again, you know, you I went and bought a, a set of pencils and thought, what can I do with this? I see a lot of work. I see a lot of things that interest me. And I think I did a scene of of the Swiss Alps in pencils. Very, very detailed. Took really a long time to get all those little details in there. And, and when I finished it, I said, I said to Ralph, I said, you know what, let's go get a frame. I want to frame this. This is good. And typically I'm a really strong critic, self-critic of my work. I'm never quite satisfied, but with the, with the pencil work I was.
1: Did you run it past your dad? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Christ, Johnny, you call that an alp?
2: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. He's mellow though. He likes my art now. He does. He does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This, this past week, uh, Donna, I, I, I found myself, uh, being introduced to a number of artists that I would have never found and never heard about on social media. How has social media changed the art world?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's, it's developed. A lot of people have started painting because they're so inspired to see what other people are doing and social media did have that impact on me there was a, there is a great artist in England his name is Simon Haig. and i fa- i don't know how i fell upon him about 10 years ago on twitter but i looked at his work and still to today he is probably the artist who inspires me most that would be i won't call him a peer cuz he is i will i will look up to him um but he had these incredible photorealistic paintings and I don't think I would have gone down the watercolor route. I wouldn't have gone down the graphite route. I would have stayed in my oils, and I'm not sure I would have developed in the way I developed had I not explored graphite and watercolor. So I think a lot of artists are doing that. You know, I see some some artists that were not painting at all two or three years ago who were inspired on social media by whom I don't know, probably by, you know, just groups of artists, and have started very, very primitively with with art that really you would kind of shrug and say, oof, that's that's rough. And yet they do get a lot of encouragement because social media can be a really nasty place, but it can be wonderfully encouraging as well in the certain community. And I find So there's the art, a lot of
1: interaction in the art community on social is, media? There is, and there's
2: a lot of support. So, you know, people, but then you then you question, <laughs> why are people being so dishonest? Because that's not a good painting and why are they saying to him it is? But, you know, it's encouraging and that's what it is. And so, you know, people will start and you see if you watch this specific group of people who have just started very primitively in their art and they're posting regularly and painting. And it's as you said, Terry, it's the practice. It's the rigor of doing it daily, weekly, however they're doing it, but they're doing it regularly and they're developing. And then suddenly in a year, this artist who was churning out, you know, really not so pretty art has is selling, so that's what's that's.
0: Name, what sorry, Donna? What's the name of the artist in England? I want to write it down and look look his work up.
2: Simon and his last name yeah. is Hague. H a i g h.
1: Have you been able okay. to uh, communicate with him? Oh yeah. Oh good. Yeah. 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 And.
2: Oh yeah, he's very supportive. Right? Yeah, Yeah. He was the one who said to me, "Don't ever give up on a painting." Oh, oh yeah. nice. That's very nice. Hard.
1: You probably yeah. already said that earlier, and it went in one of my ears <laughs> and out the other. Sorry. <laughs> I
2: did. <laughs> That's okay, Tony. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Right, Simon Egg, that I was, guy.
0: I was introduced uh, just this past week to a guy that I saw on Twitter named Peter Harris, uh, who's uh, got a. Uh, he's uh, some of his paintings are being displayed at a gallery here in Vancouver this week, and his paints paintings are so real realistic they look like pictures. Oh. He painted a a picture of the Montreal Metro. Uh, with the doors open in a station that my wife and I wanted to buy, but before we could get to it, it was sold.
2: Wow! And wow. that
0: that came from Twitter. Um, it, speaking of realists, he, you should look him up, uh, Don. His name is Peter Harris. It's okay. really fascinating work. Okay, I will. Um, um, tell me about uh, getting uh, the because you do have work on display. Here in the British Columbia area, in the Vancouver area, I should say, on Granville Island, mm-hmm. at a gallery there, which I've yet to get downtown to see. I'm about a 45-minute drive from there. Uh, tell, me, tell me about how that came to pass and how difficult was it to get into that uh, uh, exhibition?
2: Okay, so there, so the Federation Gallery is actually a part of the Federation of Canadian Artists, and they have a call for open calls for submission – probably once or twice a month for different exhibits that they decide what the exhibit will be. And um, I would have to submit my work, and they have very stringent guidelines. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's size, sometimes it's medium, sometimes it's size and medium. Uh, What is the nature of the exhibit? Right now, I think what I'm exhibiting is in is limitless and water, or I'm not sure exactly what exhibits because I've got several going, but uh, for the water exhibition, the guidelines were, it has to be something that is very water heavy. So, you know, uh, it could be it could be oceans, it could be rivers, it could be water in a glass, water in a vase, raindrops, it could be anything. You're, it's a loose interpretation, but water was the theme of that particular exhibit. And how did I do that? I had to submit my work, it had to be juried, it had to be accepted. Once it's accepted, I have to have it framed, sent to the gallery via UPS, and um, then they hang it at the gallery, they mark it for me. I've had some sell before they get to exhibition, so then that's another consideration because once they've been accepted into an exhibition and it's it, it sells before the exhibition starts, That's a different parameter, but you know, what's interesting about the Federation is they do have different themes and their themes are so varied. And I find that it challenges me. Sometimes I'll paint a painting specifically for it, for an exhibition that's upcoming. There's one coming up in March of 2023. Um, I think it's a wildlife theme. And so I'm planning to do some large oils for that one.
0: Oh, what about the big bear head?
2: Yeah, I could try. <laughs> I don't think they'd like that big bear head, but I could try.
0: <laughs> but you must have been thrilled when when they said, yeah, we love the work. Let's Let's make it part of the exhibition. That must be exciting.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. And so the one that was in September was their very big annual international representational exhibition. That's their big one where they have an open call to artists who are not members of the gallery, but open call to artists all over the globe. And uh, they had an opening soiree for that one. And if I would have been in Vancouver, I would have been there. But, you know, family commitments kept me here in Montreal on those dates. But that was one that I was really thrilled and honored to be juried into.
1: Is being asked to exhibit more gratifying than selling something or just a different kind of gratification?
2: Uh, I think it's a different kind of gratification because I'm always happy to sell when I have – you know, and that's another thing now. There's scammers who are out there on on social media. Oh. There's a new kind of scam where typically if I'm selling on social media, someone's going to send me a direct message. They'll ask me for price availability, you know, pretty much whatever questions they're going to have pertaining to a specific piece of art or commissioning me for a piece of art. Well, I had this happen twice in the past month where somebody, and it's always about a 65-year-old man with a beard. <laughs> who has an account that's not necessarily too active, a lot of photos of themselves on the account. And they come to me and say, okay, I would like to purchase a piece of art or commission a piece of art. And they bring me through all the steps that I would do with a regular collector. And then at the very last, that's where my flags will usually go up. They'll say, okay, you know, what are your banking details? Or can I send you a check and it will be a check in an amount over what I've quoted as the price, and then say, "Will I? Can I trust you to send me back the remaining amount?" Oh, All right. wait. Yeah, Come
1: on. Jesus. yeah. Honestly, did they think you just fell off the turnip right. truck? Right,
2: right. But you have to engage with these people because it could be yeah. a legitimate collector. So that's. So it's,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt, Donna. It's a, a bit of an odd connection. Um, this leads me to uh, my next question. I was. Uh, wanted to ask you this and, and, uh, uh, wanted to be delicate about it. So this is a great segue to ask you about this. One of the things about the art world that drives me crazy is, is price. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how artists set price. Who's who decides. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. It's kind of a supply and demand thing. If you find an artist who's popular or gaining in popularity, there's a, a, a Vancouver artist that I absolutely love named David Wilson. And when I first started to look at his stuff uh, about two years ago, uh, I should have bought it then because now when you go to his website, it's when you click on price, it's uh, email and inquiry and we'll let you know. In other words, these things have shot way up in price oh. uh, because of demand, I guess, and because of popularity, and, and that's good for the artist. But how do you decide, you know, you can stand to next to, to two paintings in – In, for example, uh, you know, a collector's gallery like the Klinkoff Gallery, Mm -hmm. you could stand next to one painting that's worth $11,000 and it's hanging next to another painting that's worth $77,000. Yeah. How how do you decide uh, what you're going to charge for your work?
2: Often it's the galleries who will decide pricing. Um, uh, For myself, I usually look at materials and time. So watercolors don't take me nearly as long to paint. I can do a watercolor complete in two to three days. And so that doesn't require quite as much of my time and it doesn't require as much material. You know, a pad of paper, even if I'm using arches, which is a nice quality paper, and the paints that I use are not going to cost me nearly what a large canvas and the oils that go along with it and my time. An oil painting will take me a minimum of a month to paint. So, you know, that all factors in when we're, when we're determining our prices and the size. If it's a large canvas, requires more material, more time. So that's pretty much how we base it.
0: So you don't you don't stand in front of a painting and go shit this one's really good. No. with an <laughs> <extra paint." laughs>
1: Tara, I think you should uh, I think you should go down to that uh, uh, gallery. Is it on Granville Island where Donna's uh, work yeah. is on display? Take some yeah. liquefied mashed potato down there and throw it on the Zielinski, <laughs> and it'll shoot up in value like nobody's business.
0: There you go, and I can wear a stop peanut butter shirt. <laughs> <laughs> This this is uh, this is uh, uh you know it's it's a, t- a touchy uh, question um, but what's what's the most that you've ever uh, priced a painting what's the highest painting you've ever sold
2: four thousand so I don't typically okay. go higher than four thousand on a painting that'd be for a large canvas that's we're talking probably thirty six by forty eight and I've not mm-hmm. ever painted larger than thirty six by forty eight a lot of my my watercolors are small. They are usually 9 by 12, 11 by 14. They start at 800 and range up to 1,500. And then the oil paintings, uh, the smallest oil painting I would have is probably 11 by 14, and that would start at 1,500. And then they would cap up at 4,000.
1: I never did pay for the one you made for Sam. What do I owe you? Nothing.
0: <laughs> <That> <laughs> So, if like for example, if you want to buy, because I've looked into it, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you can find John Little's work, and like a little eight by ten, John Little is now five or six thousand dollars. Right. Uh, and and a, you know a, a sort of regular so what I would call a regular size painting is anywhere between you know fifteen and thirty thousand dollars. That comes with reputation, correct? It
2: does. It does. Oh, I would imagine that's what's getting it there because. You know, I have some friends in the art world who are selling their paintings and typically I would say there's always between three and six thousand for oils. Right. Or larger oils. Yeah.
0: Do you um, do you see a, a, a time in your life, Donna, where um, you're going to or is it an ambition of yours to end up as one of those Artist that's not only sought after at galleries, but you know, uh, are in a lot of collections around the country.
2: Well, you know, I thought it was. I really, I was working towards that for probably a good six months, and then I, I stopped. I had to sit, stand back, and ask myself, why am, why am I doing this? Why am I painting? Painting is really my purest form of joy. I like piano, and I play cello. You play the and, cello
1: too. She's yeah. a cellist, Tara.
2: She's not, quite not an very accomplished good. musician. Not very good though. No, We'll be know. the
1: judge of that. I should have got you to bring the cello. Favors oh, for the tune.
2: Imagine. Oh my gosh. No, so that's always cello been. Cello
0: and art, yeah. No one will recognize the podcast. <laughs> what the
2: hell's happening? What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> What's happening to this? But no, I did, Terry. I thought I wanted to, to go down that route. And I'm thrilled when I am represented by a gallery But then I stop and say to myself, what's the point of my art? And the point of my art is to give me pleasure because I can go into my art studio at eight o'clock in the morning and Ralph will be tapping me on the shoulder at noon saying, Hey, are we even having lunch today? (laughs) (laughs) And I'll think, is it lunchtime already? Because I get lost in my paintings and then I'll head back. And, you know, oftentimes with the oils, you're working with some kind of funky glazes that have very toxic chemicals in them and I'm a little dizzy and light (laughs) hat, but I'm still in there. I'm still painting because I love it. It's never a chore.
0: Don't you think that's where the best work comes from when you get completely lost in it and you let your, you just sort of let your. And you're high on the fumes.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Yeah. You let your heart carry you away.
2: Absolutely. And that's where commissions can really be challenging because a lot of times it's not a subject that I would choose to paint and then they, you know, sometimes the collectors will have their own color scheme that they want to go by and maybe not interesting light. So then for it me, becomes work. Then it becomes work. Yeah. And then I can get pretty cranky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, commissions are an interesting thing. I, I once had, I thought it would be a great idea one year to have a, uh, a portrait of my family commissioned. And I brought a picture to an artist uh, who was represented at a gallery. And I'd already had one of his pieces of work in my house. And uh, I commissioned this this painting and I was very excited uh, to present it to my mom and dad for Christmas. And uh, when I picked up the painting... Um, my father looked like he had had a stroke in the painting and oh, no! I, I, and I had a pig nose. So <laughs> I was, I was, let's say just, I was underwhelmed oh. <laughs> by what was delivered. You should have and just that, taken them all
1: to Sears for the picture, Care.
0: Oh, that's what I should have done in my, the, the painting hangs in a dark corner oh, in my parents' no. basement
2: now. <laughs> oh, you actually bought it? Because does...
0: Yeah, I, I I just wasn't experienced it a, enough at the time to say ah uh, no, right. <laughs> I'm not taking that home. Anyway, I've, I'm curious about what people commission you to do, and and when they commission you to do something, do you do you take it and go oh Christ?
2: I've done that once.
0: Okay, only I've, once. Yeah,
2: once. For the most part, they've been fun. Um, Poppy Van Winkle, who is. Uh, an old character, I guess he's the founder of a, a whiskey brand in the States. Some, some very expensive whiskey or scotch. I'm not sure what it is, but Pappy Van Winkle, he's been a popular commission for me in graphite where his picture sits on a bottle of scotch or, or whiskey. And I've had a few collectors in the States come and ask for that one. Oh yeah. And that, that's been a fun one.
1: I've seen that on your social media. Yeah. That's eh? cool. I like that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, that's that's a great
0: name for, uh, that's, That's a great, great name for anything, Happy <laughs> <Yeah>. Van Winkle. <laughs> really? Yeah. You wonder why he didn't make pillows.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So pets, pets are also popular. Yeah. Parents, parents, children, yeah. those are popular commissions. People don't yeah. usually commission me to do landscapes. They'll just choose one of the ones that I've already painted. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And nobody ever, nobody ever says. Uh, uh, here's a, one of my family. Make sure to give me a pig nose.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story. One lady who was a regular collector of mine, and she's just a dear lady in Chicago. And she's commission. No, she commissioned me for three. One of them was Neil Pert at the drums from Rush. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, and another was her mother-in-law with her her husband and his brother when they were children in front of the parliament building. And she sent me a Polaroid from the 1960s and said, you know, can you do this as an oil painting? And as I started, I remember sending a picture to Simon saying, I think she looks more like Jesus Christ than, (laughs) you know, she really looked terrible. And I couldn't do it because she wanted it to be rather small. So in, in the end, the lady's face was the size of a postage stamp. And when I finished it, she said to me, I would like her to look more like can you do a mix between Mona Lisa and this and Sophia Loren?
0: And I oh, thought, sure.
2: oh yeah, <laughs> sure. But yeah, so that was one that I had. You know, that was a big challenge for me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Donna, I, I, uh, it's my intention to have one of your your pieces in my uh, very very small collection. I don't even know if you can call it collection. I, I think I have about seven or eight uh, paintings that I'm very, very, very fond of from Canadian artists. And I would love to have you, uh, I would love to have one of your pieces of work. So uh, that's my intention over the next little while. And I'm going to do my best to get down to the gallery before that closes. I would love to send you pictures, uh, from the, uh, from the gallery down on Granville Island, by the way, Granville Island, I don't know if you know, but is a, it's a, uh, it's quite a hub for artistic uh, for the artistic community. lots of lots of theaters, lots of art galleries and artisans doing all kinds of different things. it's It's a real feather in your cap that your work is on display there.
2: Oh, wow. Well, I do plan to get there at some point, maybe in January to one of the exhibitions because I would love to see it. And I'm, you know, Terry, I'm thrilled and honored that you want to have one of my works. In your home, really. Thank Where, you.
1: Where's the best place people can find uh, examples of your work online? Website and social media? Yes.
2: I try to keep my website up to date. I'm not sure it's up to date with every exhibit that I've done, but it's got most of my art on there. It won't indicate if it's sold or not. I don't tend to do that. But, you know, if somebody's really interested in something, I can always do something similar.
1: Donnazielinski.com. Mm-hmm. Z-I-E-L-I-N-S-K-I. That's right. Dot com. Yep.
0: I think what we should do, Ted, and we don't often do this, we we should put a, you know, when we post the uh, the podcast, we should put a link up to Donna's website.
1: Absolutely, a hundred percent, we will. You know what we have to do before we go? We have to do the tweet sheet because I set aside three specifically with Donna in mind. Oh, okay. Um, because I thought that she could. It's not often we. I think is. I think Maureen Holloway is the only other uh, yes. woman we've had as a guest. So yes. I found I found three tweets that. Uh, uh, that I would like to get a woman's perspective on. Very good. Uh, from the tweet sheet, which is something that we do uh, every episode. Three funny tweets. Well, I think they're funny anyway. Uh, Donna mm-hmm. and you can be the judge of that. Are we all set to go, Poseidon? Here's one Let's from. At, sorry. Yeah, at Canadian Beaver 13. Men gather round. If your lady is annoyed by something you've done, it's always smartest to ask her if she's on her period. And then when she gives you a dirty look, tell her she should smile more. (laughs) Report back with success stories.
2: (laughs) That always works.
1: (laughs) Isn't that funny? And that's a woman who wrote that too. Maybe you want to
2: go ask Ralph. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's just a scream from at Mr. John Darby being murdered by being murdered by a woman. Me, actually, you're holding the knife wrong. (laughs) Um. Yeah, a little man explaining during the homicide. <laughs> and from at Eddie Ferrero, friend, don't immediately compliment her looks. That's what creeps do. Me. Okay, got it. Later. <laughs> Blind date. Hi, I'm Carol. Me, you look like shit. <laughs> 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 oh, Isn't that boy. funny? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love me There's some the, funny tweets
0: yeah, there's the tweet sheet. listen. just before we go, we we have to thank a couple of our supporters. listen, i, I I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately because uh, that's all there is to listen to when I'm in the car if you're asking me these days. but I um I, I you know, I know how you feel. <clears throat> pardon me when you get to uh, the point where the uh, podcasters are thanking their supporters, you think, ah oh, shit, here we go again. But I can't tell you how important it is um, to uh, to have people that support the podcast, especially for me when I'm traveling, when I'm able to travel and Ted and I do these together in the studio, um it's important that uh, you know we're able to uh, we're able to uh, keep our heads above water. <clears throat> excuse me again, in terms of production. So, Um, As we close out today, we've got a couple of people who have been longtime supporters, not just of this podcast, but of all our broadcasts over the years, including the one that Ted and I currently do on Saturday mornings on Light 106.7 out in Hudson. And that's the folks at Merson Automotive. Merson Automotive are a uh, local Uh, automotive spot that have been in the same spot for over 50 years, looking after Montrealer's families for all of these years, not just with tires and changing winter tires uh, and keeping cars on the road and up and running and safe. This is an important thing. You remember, your cars are transporting your family. You want to make sure they're uh, up and running properly, and you want to be able to deal with somebody who's honest uh, as the day is long, as I like to say. And that's how both Ted and I were introduced to the family uh, at Merson Automotive. The Mersons have based their whole business on making sure that they never do unnecessary work, they never overcharge you. And boy, does Ted ever know that because he currently has what he likes to call the Bavarian money pit um, <laughs> and has been a regular visitor to the folks at Merson. <laughs> who have been doing their best to save you money, Ted. Yeah,
1: knock on wood, not for the last few weeks. And the Mersons, not only are they business associates and longtime supporters of the program and the podcast, they've become friends over the years as well. I've gone to Seder at their house, for crying out loud. That's how close we are to the Mersons. We trust them implicitly, and you can too. They're on St. Jacques, just west of Cavendish, and you can find them online at mercenado.com.
0: And another family that has been a long-time supporter is Norm and his family behind the scenes at Matla Bonheur. That's right, Matla Bonheur in and around the greater Montreal area have also been long-time supporters since years ago when I sat down with Norm and we had lunch, and I said, what is it about the uh, the mattress business that makes you so passionate? And I sat with Norm, and uh, we had a long conversation about how the business started from that very first store on Gwaine Boulevard, which is still there, by the way, in St. Geneviève. You can go into that store and see how Matlabonard grew to this company that now has locations all over the greater Montreal area. And you can see what I'm talking about when you go into that store in terms of the sleep experience and the mattress shopping experience, which is never a lot of fun when you're flopping around on mattresses <laughs> in the middle of the store, it's uncomfortable. It's weird. Uh, the folks at Mattelabonner take all of that away beautifully, wonderfully trained staff uh, that work in the uh, in the concept and the way that the uh, uh, the folks at uh, Mattelabonner and the family behind that business have designed it. So that you're welcomed warmly with uh, a polite welcome and a couple of questions about how you sleep, whether or not you like a firm or soft mattress, those kinds of questions. Then they steer you to a different part of the store where they, uh, they'll they show you mattresses they think you would like and then they leave you alone. They don't follow you around and pressure you. It's a really, really nice experience uh, in terms of shopping. Whether you're looking for, you know, just a guest room mattress or it's time to change the mattress in your bedroom or the the kids have moved out and, and you've decided that it's time to update the guest room. Whatever it is you're doing, they have pillows, they have sheets, they have linens, and they have a wonderful, wonderful staff and a great shopping experience. Go to matliabonheur.ca and if you drop in one of the locations to get that shopping experience, tell them that Terry and Ted sent you. There are promo codes tear 4 and TED05. Just tell them that you listen to the podcast and they'll find you an extra 5% off your purchase. My thanks to the people at Matlab Bonheur. Ask,
1: ask, ask them about the Pappy Van Winkle pillow set. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's an intriguing name, isn't it? It yeah, sounds I like, like a great trademark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this was fun. Uh, Donna, thanks so much. I n- I never thought we could have so much fun talking about art on the podcast, but look at that. We had a ball, and I think uh, I think folks are going to enjoy this episode.
2: Oh, well, thanks to you two so much. This was a lot of fun for me as well.
0: Ted? Ter. Please tell Poseidon thank you very much. Thank you very much, Poseidon.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Naive art it believed its own hype. <laughs>
0: Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community.